You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. John chapter 7, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the aim of this series, that you would believe the gospel, that you would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as we walk through the gospel of John, that if you are here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you've joined us online this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, It would be our prayer for you and our aim this morning, even as much as it is the aim of God's Word, that you would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior today. That this would be the day of salvation and that you would know God and have eternal life by believing in Jesus. And at the same time, it is our goal that it would be on the heart of every single believer. An urgent, earnest plea on our lips, that the whole world would come and believe the gospel, that each and every one of us together would proclaim this message, not just coming from this pulpit or these classrooms, but from every single believer that that lives and breathes as a part of Southwide Baptist Church, that you would proclaim the gospel of Christ to all that you come in contact with. That is our call from Christ, that we would be faithful to make disciples of all nations. We will only do this if we are convinced that Jesus has said to do it. Amen? It is not enough for me to persuade you, to convince you on my own request, or the teachers in our connect groups to persuade you. It's not enough for us to call you to do this. It must be because Christ has said to do it. And if Jesus has said to do it, then we must obey Him. Amen? If we believe that this is the authoritative call of God upon our lives, then this is what we must do. And this is what, in fact, our text this morning aims to do. That is to call us upon the authority of God's Word to be on mission with Him, to point us to the fact that it is not by a simple suggestion, it is not a good idea or a church program, it is to remind us that when Jesus speaks, it carries the full weight of the authority of God. So we see that here in this text this morning, and I want to encourage you, if you found your place, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. John chapter 7 Beginning, beginning in verse 14 together. The Bible says about the middle of the feast, that is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, 
Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we come to your word this morning, that we would hear the very authority of Christ in these words. That we would be reminded that each and every time we come before your word, whether it is in private or whether it is in corporate gathering, we come to sit under the authority of Christ. And so may we respond this morning in attentiveness to what You would say to us. In humility as we see our own lives and our own decisions before Your holiness and Your call upon our lives. That God, we would respond in obedience to all that we see and hear. Lord, I do pray that if there's one here this morning that has not come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who's never come to know You as Savior, the One who lives, the One who loves, I pray that this morning would be the very morning. God, that You would draw them by Your Spirit, that Christ would be lifted up in this place, and that people would come to know You as Savior and Lord of their life. That You would receive glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So again, as we come to this particular chapter, it's hugely important that we consider the backdrop of John 7. As we think about what the setting is, the festival of booths or the feast of the tabernacles, you might uh, come to know it as. John says that after Jesus went about in Galilee, verse 1, he would not go about in Judea because they were seeking to kill him. And verse 2 tells us, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And just by way of reminder, because this is going to become really important in the coming weeks as we look at the things that Jesus had to say and to teach in these three chapters here in John 7 through 9. It was a huge celebration in Israel, generally late September, early October, so really this time of year, and it was, in essence, the Thanksgiving celebration for Israel. When they celebrated the memory of God's faithfulness in the wilderness, 
His faithful provision of them. All of that having its roots in the Old Testament. You will recall as God led them through the 40 years of wandering and He made provision for them and there was a need for them to celebrate this provision by dwelling in booths or these these dwelling places for an entire week and each family in Israel remembering what God had provided. The later years in the life of Israel, they would add a water pouring ceremony to remember what God had done in providing water for them in the desert. The feast would include lighting ceremonies, lighting uh, commemorative lanterns so they would remember all that God did in leading them by fire at night. All of that is the backdrop to Jesus' message. And last week we saw that in spite of all of the pressure for Jesus, all of his brothers saying, you, you should go and now make your public appearance. This is, this is your opportunity to get fame and glory, right? Of course this is what Jesus should do. And go into the, the, into the town and he should make much of who he is being the Messiah. But the Bible tells us that he, he withheld, he didn't go into the, the feast at the same time that they did. Verse 10, that he went up and not publicly, but privately. Verse 11 says the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. And they came up with all of these different things about who Jesus might be. A good man, a bad man, one who's a false teacher, a good teacher. Who knows? But nobody knows where Jesus is. Is all of the buzz in the air trying to explain Jesus. And John tells us in verse 14, at the middle of the feast, essentially at the very middle halfway point of what was happening. Verse 14 says that Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. And in case you think, well, maybe Jesus is making a big public entry into Jerusalem or to Judea at this point. He's going in making not a huge deal about who he is. He just begins to teach. In fact, as you read the stories, you read the narrative, you'll find out very quickly that they were not sure at this point who this one who was teaching was. They simply gathered around to hear him teach. And what you have in John chapter 7 is this dialogue of Jesus there in the temple. It's really divided into about three Parts. The first part being verses 14 through 24 that we're going to look at this morning, and then two more parts over the next couple of weeks that we'll see together. The central theme of this first part, what Jesus is saying, is his teaching. Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching, verse 14 says. And that teaching becomes the concern of the entire rest of these 10, 11 verses. It's not so much the content or what Jesus is teaching, the the things that He had to say, it's rather the fact that He's actually doing it. And He's doing it as one who has authority. He's doing it as one who had learned much, but they knew good and well that this man had never been to the rabbinical schools. This is not something that this commoner should be able to do. He's teaching in a way as if he studied many, many years, but he's never studied. Notice that in verse 15. It says that the Jews marveled, saying, 
How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? The point of concern was not so much that Jesus is teaching what he's teaching, the the content of it, rather the nature of it. And again, it would seem that they did not recognize who Jesus was. One, they didn't recognize him to be the son of God, of course, We know that. That's the whole point of the entire gospel is to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. And not many had believed that at this point. And yet, they did not even recognize Him as the one they had encountered just a few chapters ago. And we know that because in verse 23 and following, Jesus reveals Himself as that one and they seem surprised. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And then in verse 25 that we're not covering this morning, but they say, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? In other words, we didn't know that this is the one they were looking for, but here he is. He's standing there right before us. They didn't recognize him until later. Here they have no idea who this man is. All they know is that he's teaching in a way that stands out. In fact, it is so different that they don't even recognize him as a part of any of the rabbinical schools of the day. And yet he has great learning. And that learning is not just marked in how eloquently he speaks, but it's marked by the authority that he teaches with. Notice that. That's why Jesus answered, answers them in verse 16. My teaching is not mine, but, is, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. But Jesus speaks here. He speaks with authority. It's not just teaching a new skill or a new trade. He's not teaching people how to fish. He's teaching people in such a way that when they hear his teaching, they have no other alternative than to obey what it is that he is saying. He is the authority on truth and practice. It's similar to an encounter that Jesus had earlier with the crowds in Galilee. John doesn't tell us of this story, but Matthew tells us chapter 7 and verse 28 that the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Something is different about this man and his teaching over and against all of the other teaching of the day. And not only that, when you get into the temple, they notice he's not just He's not just teaching with authority that's different than any of the authority of the day. He's teaching in a way that just doesn't even make sense based on where he's from. John's central concern for us as we see this passage is the question of Jesus' authority. They were stunned. Someone who had not studied in any of the rabbinical centers of learning was able to teach the Scripture with Great articulate exposition and authority in his words. It's a similar response to what the disciples had on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember the story? Jesus had just been raised from the dead and 
He's there appearing to some of the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and he's talking with them and his appearance, his identity is veiled from them. And after he finally leaves them, after teaching them the scriptures, the Bible says, he vanished. They instantly knew who he was. And then they looked back and they realized, didn't our hearts burn within us as he taught? The same kind of response to Jesus as we see in the temple. There's something different about the teaching of Jesus when it's heard, when it's proclaimed, as Jesus speaks. When He speaks, everything else fades away. And the disciples in Luke chapter 24 were so convinced of that that they hung the the reality of the resurrection on the fact that they had encountered Jesus And they didn't even need to see Him. All they needed to do was to hear Him teach. And they knew it was Christ. It's a different kind of authority in the words of Christ. What is John saying to us here in this passage this morning? It is this. Jesus' Word holds absolute authority over our lives. Jesus' Word holds absolute authority over our lives. In other words, when Jesus speaks, His words carry the very power and authority of God. God Himself. If Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, then when Jesus speaks, God is speaking Jesus is the one who is the Word of God from the beginning. John has already said this to us. He is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus' Word is the same Word that spoke the world into existence. It is the same Word that calls a man to salvation. It is the same Word that called His people out of Egypt and gave the law at Sinai. God's Word, Jesus' Word, are one and the same. And if that's true, then His Word has absolute authority over our lives. This is why His teaching arrests the attention of those who are listening. Because God Himself is speaking. It's a teaching like no other. A teaching like they were not used to. It was unique compelling, convicting, and even life-giving for those who believed. And although there's an entire spectrum of response to the words of Jesus in this passage, and certainly in our day today, His Word is an authority that cannot be ignored. Is an authority that is totally unique. To resist it would be foolish. One thing is for certain, though, When Jesus speaks, all must listen. Let me just say this morning that for those who believe upon Christ, there will be a fundamental difference in the way we approach the words of Jesus than what we approach any other word ever. There will be a fundamental difference in the way that we approach the Word of Christ, then we approach the Word of anyone else. When Jesus' Word holds 
this kind of absolute authority in our lives, we don't approach His Word casually. We don't approach the words of Jesus thoughtlessly or carelessly or even haphazardly. When Jesus' Word holds this kind of authority in our life, we will be diligent to rightly understand it and to rightly apply it if, in fact, His Word has the authority that He claims. We will be diligent to read it faithfully, to study it deeply, to memorize it desperately as if our lives depend on it, to meditate on it continually. We will be just like the disciples in John chapter 6, the very words that we read, when they said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the desperation for God's Word when we understand the authority that Jesus' Word has. And so, when we gather corporately, whether that's in a connect group, or whether that's in this corporate gathering on a Sunday morning and worship, whether it's under the preaching of God's Word or experiencing the teaching of God's Word and various teachers teaching that, whether we're gathered in prayer gatherings where we're reading God's Word and praying for these things that we see there, in all of these ways we gather with great attentiveness to God's Word. We don't gather in these ways thoughtlessly or aimlessly or distracted when we realize that it is God's Word that is being proclaimed, we do not gather and spend the majority of the time on our phones, engaged in social media, or Amazon shopping. We come to attention at the Word of God. We don't even spend our time considering mentally other trivial matters that matter very little when it comes to the shadow of God's Word. Instead, we come hungry and attentive and ready to hear because God is speaking. Jesus will be the main event that distracts us from every other event that is happening in the moment because Jesus is speaking and His Word carries absolute authority and it compels our attention and our obedience. When we strive to discern truth from error, when we're considering sound teaching versus false teaching, we will root our entire search in what does God's Word say. You need to understand this morning that what is taught from this pulpit, what is said in any classroom, is not built upon the authority of any preacher or teacher. Inasmuch as what is taught and what is preached is rooted in what Jesus has said, it bears absolute authority on our lives. But nothing more, nothing less. When Jesus speaks, we listen. And all of the authority of teaching His Word is wrapped on Teaching what He has taught. By the way, no matter how inspiring, no matter how encouraging, 
And no matter how practically helpful it might sound, be so careful. If it is not rooted in the authority of Christ, then it has no authority on us whatsoever. And it is not to be trusted. When believers are confronted with the authority of God's Word, we are not simply mesmerized by its uniqueness and its power. We're certainly not offended at its claims as this crowd was. We as believers, when we're confronted with the authority of God's Word, we're compelled by obedience. You see, we believe what Second Timothy says, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Those who reject the authority of Jesus' words reject Jesus. And those who reject Jesus don't have eternal life. And that's what we ultimately see in this crowd. Notice it there in verse 20. The crowd answers Jesus, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? They're very quick to demonize Jesus, listen, when He says something they don't like. When He says something that's a little convicting or that might imply that they're wrong in some way, they're very quick to demonize Jesus. This is not the response of the believing heart. There are some, verse 31 later will tell us, that believe in Him. Many believe in Him. But they believe because they believe in response to His Word. They they fall underneath. They submit themselves to the authority of His Word. And so what we must determine this morning is whether we will submit our lives to the authority of Christ's Word. If His Word holds ultimate and absolute authority over our lives, and by the way, that is not under question. It's not a question of whether Jesus has authority. It's a question of whether we will continue to resist His authority or whether we will submit to Him as Lord of our lives. And so my aim for you this morning is that you would get what this text aims at, and that is to persuade you of the authority of Christ in order that you too might submit to Him. There are six claims in this passage of absolute authority. The absolute authority, namely, of Jesus' teaching. They're aimed at persuading the crowd to accept this authority. And so, as we look at them, this is the same purpose for our lives. Six different claims of absolute authority over our lives. Number one. Jesus' authority is given by God. It's given by God. Notice verse 16. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. Now it's interesting in the day whenever a young rabbi, a newer rabbi, would come and begin teaching something, that he would not teach it in a vacuum. Any rabbi that began teaching new and inventive ideas was automatically labeled 
Someone who was prideful and kind of over the top. So no rabbi would begin, begin teaching these things because it was out of sync, out of step with rabbinic tradition. He would always come teaching something and then give a label, give some sort of stamp of approval of who sent him. This would also help to know what school this rabbi came out of. So this, this teaching that they had was not based on their own authority, but rather based on the authority of the one who sent them. Jesus insists that he's not one of these inventive teachers, but that his teaching is not his own. But unlike the school of rabbis that would constantly appeal to this long line of human tradition, which, by the way, is prone to error, Jesus appeals to a divine tradition that is not prone to any error. When Jesus teaches, he says, I am the one who is sent from God and my teaching is from the one who sent me. Earlier prophets would make this claim, wouldn't they? Prophets sent from God. But throughout John's Gospel, Jesus is the one, capital O-N-E, who is sent from God. He is the one whom all the prophets would look forward to and everyone who proclaims the Gospel looks back at. Jesus is the one who is the Word of God in the flesh. When Jesus says that the words of, that I speak are not mine, His words and God's words are one. My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. And Jesus is God in the flesh. It's a claim to both Jesus' divine nature and His divine authority. Hebrews 1 tells us that long ago, that many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. This is who God appointed to be the heir of all things and the one whom the world would hear the gospel from, Jesus. That's why in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, do you remember what he started with? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The very words of Christ come with the grant of the authority of the Father because Jesus and the Father are one. His authority is from God Himself. So when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And in the same way, when God spoke at Sinai, and as God continued to speak through various prophets, when God speaks, His people must listen. Jesus' authority is given by God. Secondly, Jesus' authority is affirmed by God. It's affirmed by God. Verse 17, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So there's the decision to be made. An evaluation. When someone comes speaking, if you're one who's doing God's will, has a desire to do God's will, that can only come, by the way, through relationship with Jesus. If you are one who desires to do God's will, then there is an affirmation internally that the very things that Jesus is saying 
are authoritatively God's Word. Jesus is speaking to a people who already knew God's law. They already knew what God had said. They come at somewhat of an advantage, which is ironic because they still reject, even as we would if we were in the same shoes. But they have the law of God and they need only to take what Jesus is teaching and compare it to the law that God has already given. And in and of itself, this is an affirmation of God. But what Jesus is speaking about is not just an external kind of affirmation, but an internal kind of thing. Similar to what Romans 8 teaches about being a child of God. There is this internal witness of an objective truth about Jesus. We know that we have eternal life because what happens is, Romans 8 says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that happens not based on some sort of a feeling or an emotion. It's not because we feel good about it that day or because we feel saved one day. It's because the Holy Spirit, listen, takes the objective truth of Jesus' Word and bears witness internally, affirming that Word to be true in your own experience. He teaches us and shows us and affirms that we are children of God, and that's what Jesus is saying. If you legitimately are one who's seeking after God's will, you will be affirmed that it will be affirmed for you that what Jesus is teaching is in fact true. This is why it's so important, by the way, for you to constantly listen with a discerning heart to anyone who would teach the Word of God. It is not enough for you to simply believe the authority of a preacher. You must search the Scriptures to see if these things are true and God by His Word will affirm that what Jesus is saying is in fact true and bears absolute authority on your life. Third, Jesus' authority also brings glory to God. So two opposing statements here in verse 18. The first half, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Now, by the way, it would not have been wrong for Jesus to bring glory to himself, right? Because He's the Son of God. Of course, Jesus is bringing glory to Himself. But they're not viewing Him as the Son of God. They're viewing Him as a mere teacher. What Jesus says is, examine me based on the fact that I'm not bringing glory to Myself, but rather, glory to the One who sent Me. I don't speak on My own authority. I speak on His authority and therefore bring Him glory and honor. Church, we need to be very careful of the teacher or preacher who just says, trust me. If at ever any point something that I say to you or any other preacher says to you cannot be established upon the truth of God's word, you have no need and you should be very careful trusting it at all. But when Jesus speaks... 
Jesus says, examine what I'm saying and trust God, trust the Father, of course, which brings trust for Jesus and glory to Jesus. That's the thing. But at the end of the day, it's not his humanity. It is the fact that he is God in the flesh. Jesus' authority brings glory to him, not to the teacher who proclaims it. He seeks the glory of the Father, and this gives him authority. Fourth, Jesus' authority proclaims the truth of God. This is the second half of this verse. He says he doesn't seek his own glory, but he seeks the glory of him. And he adds this piece to it. Who sent him is true and in him there is no falsehood. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. Jesus is saying what I'm seeking out, I'm seeking the one who's who has glory, and therefore, because of that, it makes what I'm saying to you true. Because I'm seeking the glory of the Father. And in Him, there is no falsehood. Why would that be true? Well, in Numbers 23, we get a window into the character of the God who sent Him. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that He should lie. Or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And the answer to that rhetorical question is yes, of course he will. Why? Because God does not lie. God is a God of truth. The one clear difference If not others, the one clear difference between a human teacher, a merely human teacher, and the Son of God is that men lie. We don't always practice the truth. So everything that is said must be judged according to the truth of God's Word. And what Jesus says is, no, the one who sent me is true, and I am always therefore true. This is what he would later say in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is never wrong because Jesus is always true. He is the word and truth in the flesh. And his authority is established based on the truthfulness of his word. Two more claims. First one in verse 19 and 20. Jesus' authority convicts of sin against God. Jesus' authority convicts of sin against God. Notice in verse 19, Has not Moses given you the law? Now watch this. Yet none of you keeps the law. He says, Why do you seek to kill me? In other words, Here they are arguing about keeping the law and who has authority to teach the law and all of these things. They're they're puffed up with all of this knowledge, all of this argument about what is true and what is not true. And right here they're seeking to murder the Son of God, which, by the way, is against the law of Moses. It's interesting how quick we are to puff puff up our our minds with knowledge and think we know a lot of things and marvel over the teaching of Jesus without ever looking to the reality of our own lives and whether we live in obedience to Christ. Blind spots. In all of their training, in all of their knowing, 
and all of their concern about which school Jesus came from and whether he had authority to teach the law, they themselves, standing before the Son of God, were not living in obedience to the law. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the Word convicts us of our sin. All of our emphasis on knowing, and Jesus says, but you're not doing. For all that you know about me, for all that you know about God, you're not doing anything to obey me. James 1, verse 22, tells us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And he says if, if we're hearers only, that we deceive ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. How often do we come to the word and begin to understand it as a textbook? Or begin to understand it as a weapon to be used against the lives of other people and forget that it is a mirror? And it looks deeply into our hearts, piercing even to the joints and to the marrow. The Bible says that it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And even in that deepest place in our lives, we must be doers of the word, not hearers only. And what you'll find is that the authority of Jesus is pervasive. It's not just over the everyday things that we would call big sins. But Jesus' authority extends to your very thought life and your very desires. His Word bears absolute authority over our lives. There's one final one here. And that is that Jesus' authority corrects errors about God. Errors. What do I mean by that? Verse 21 Jesus answered them, I did one work and you marveled at it. And the work that he's describing is healing a man on the Sabbath, making his body well. He's pointing back to that lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you remember the story? And they got all up in arms with him because he was healing on the Sabbath. You you can't do that, Jesus. This man can't carry his bed. You can't use these herbs to heal him on the Sabbath. This is forbidden. And he so ardently says to them, (laughs) yeah, but you circumcise on the Sabbath. Now, without getting into a whole lot about what circumcision is and the purpose of and all of those things that we see from the Old Testament, the point is they made an exception that they were able to circumcise on on the Sabbath in order to obey Moses' law, but they could not heal a man. Jesus' point is, You have missed the whole point of the law. Here's what's happened. Watch this now. What's happened is your tradition has crept in there. And you're now calling that truth. And you are allowing it to blind you and keep you from actually obeying the truth. You have errors. Church, can I tell you that it can happen in any Church on the planet. We can allow either tradition or messed up theology 
or messed up methodology or all kinds of things to come in and to be glorified to the place, listen, of authority. And we can ignore the authority of Christ. It's dangerous. We could spend a lot of time here, but it is the very reason why so many churches are living in many ways disobedient to Christ and many Christians. Because we ignore the authority of Christ and we exchange it for the authority of our own errors. This must be true practically. It must be true theologically in every sense. The authority of Christ, methodologically, politically, all across the board. You could wrap all of those things into one and call it our worldview must be corrected by the authority of Christ. Jesus' word holds absolute authority over our lives. So my aim for you is that in hearing what is here, that you this morning, in every way, would submit your life to the authority of Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to talk to three different people in this room. There are at least three different responses to that reality. Some of you here this morning have never, never, ever submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ. You you have never come to the place where you said, God, I have sinned against you Heaven and earth, and I am in need of your forgiveness. I have rebelled. I have chosen my own way. And I need you to save me. I need your forgiveness. So will you have mercy on me, a sinner? The Bible calls us as sinners to repent of our sin and to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be saved. To turn from our rebellion and to trust in Christ. To submit to His Lordship. And the call of the Gospel is for you to do that today. Repent and believe today. Today. Trust in Christ. So if you're here in this room, you're joining us online, that is our call to you. Never trusted in Jesus. Never received eternal life. You come. In just a few moments, we're going to stand. These altars are going to be open. If you're there joining us online, send us a message. We'd love to to know more and to help you in this journey of following Christ. But you're here this morning. You need to step out of the place where you are. Come down on this altar. Say today, Pastor, I want to be saved. I'm turning from my sin today. Will you help me? I'll lead you to Jesus. The Bible says He'll forgive you of all of your sin and cleanse you. Today, we'll trust Him. But there's another type of person here in this room. And that type of person is one you... You've forgotten what it means for Jesus to be in charge. For His Word to have all authority. And you've done one or two things. You're either the person in this room, you've, you've tried to keep things to yourself and control those areas of your life, maybe even sinfulness against God, and you're, you're just allowing that to run your life. And today, today you need to bring that area of your life under submission to Christ. By His Holy Spirit, God will do that today for you. You've been holding on, digging your heels in. Today you need to respond. 
The third type of person this morning is the type of person who's forgotten what it means for Jesus to be in charge of all things. You're worried to death. Anxious. Fearful. But when Jesus speaks, every knee must bow. It may not happen today or tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And you need to trust Him. So here in just a few moments, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All across this room, we're going to stand. This altar is going to be open. And I want to invite you to come. You're a Christian in this room. You need to give some things over to the Lord. Trust Him more. Repent today. Whatever the case is, you come this morning. Those of you here who don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come. As soon as we pray and as soon as I say amen, you come down this altar. Today, Pastor, I need to be saved. Would you help me? I'll help you. Would you stand with me all across the room and let's pray together and respond to the Lord this morning in obedience. Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and that, God, we would be obedient to your word because you are the authority over all things. So we trust you today. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.